Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Miracatani with Matt Chat. Want to thank everybody for listening. We are sponsored by FantasyGrade.com and the Fantasy Wrestling National Championships. Both the live and online games are there. You can prove you know more about wrestling than anybody else in the country. Go to FantasyGrade.com and check it out. In the live contest, there are only 33 spots and 23 have already been paid for. So they're down to the last 10 spots, $300 in guaranteed prizes for only $99. Go to FantasyGrade.com today. It is a real pleasure to be joined by the assistant coach from the University of Michigan, two-time national champion, Kellen Russell. Kellen, uh, I had some technical difficulties last week. I really appreciate your patience and coming back on, man. Hey, no problem, David. That was a blast the first time. I'm sure it'll be better the second, so I'm excited. <laughs> For sure. We got all the kinks worked out. So yeah. um, when I was doing the research, one of the things I looked at was your time in high school and like a lot of guys that end up being really great coaches, you had a great high school career. You won the Beast, you won Ironman, National Preps, Fargo, Senior Nats, pretty much everything there is to win. And you're another Blair guy. And I've had so many Blair guys on the show, Mark Perry. I just saw Zach Esposito this weekend at the Oklahoma State duel. Those guys just speak with such reverence about him. And I just want to get your take on Buxton and Blair and uh, how he really shaped your career, if, you know, if maybe if you've gone someplace different instead of instead of Blair. Yeah, I think, you know, Buxton definitely, he cultivated a pretty unique environment at Blair. Um, you know, there was the best guys, obviously, in high school. Uh, you know, we're training there every day. Even guys, we had a lot of guys that, he had an open door policy, um, which, you know, it seems like the more I'm around coaches, the best coaches have an open door policy. Um, you know, they're not trying to hide from their guys from some, you know, local competition. We had guys like Mike Gray and Zach Ray and, and all these guys from around the state of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, they all came in and would train with us, you know, during the high school season once in a while and then especially in the spring and summer. Um, so it was never, you know, he was always out there trying to find the best guys for us to train with. And that was kind of the norm to be, you know, having two guys that were top five in the country training every day together. And, you know, the, the, the more guys you have like that in the room, the more it pays off on the mat for sure. And, and that's kind of something that I like to do, you know, with our guys is, you know, you, you can't be afraid to compete in the practice room. And he, he was all about the team. And, and you know, when, when we were in practice, it was, you know, it was a battle. It was war. There was fights. There, people were kicking each other and punching each other. And, but as soon, as soon as, you know, we walked out of the room, you know, we were, we were all best friends again. And, and it's kind of funny, like my – when I was a freshman, we had a guy um, – Ross Shatomer, who uh, coaches down in Virginia now at a prep school, and he was 112 and I was 103, and me and him would beat the crap out of each other every day, <laughs> like straight up fist fights. Like I'd be like, you know, crying and trying to like punch him, and but then we you know afterwards, you know, we hung out all day, and it's, yeah. you know, it's it's really important to find guys like that and and to find a coach that's able to kind of manage all that. Yeah, he seems like well, I mean, I know he's a great person is you know probably a better person than a coach but he seems kind of gruff when you know you just you're you're observing him but the guys that I talk to seems like they really know that he cares about them and you know about them more as more as wrestlers but really as people is is that how you felt during your time there and even your relationship with him now yeah absolutely I mean he was you know he was obviously a hard coach and and he had high expectations for everybody on the team and and he wanted everybody to win, but he also knew that in order for us to succeed, you know, in life, we had to be going to class. We couldn't be getting in trouble. 
Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you did something wrong, he found out about it. He, uh, <laughs> he knew, he knew what was going on around every corner of that campus. And he had a, uh, a red Toyota Highlander. And I still get nervous when I see a red Toyota Highlander driving by me. Cause I think he's in there. Really? I mean, he'd, like, he'd, oh yeah. You'd see him. He, you know, we'd be, you know, messing around on, on there's kind of a field in the middle of campus and we'd be hanging out, messing around and you'd see him slow roll up to the field roll the window down, he'd stick his hand out, that one finger, start pointing at you, come near, and you were like, oh, man, what did I do yesterday? What, what did I do last week? Did I go to class? What, what did, I, did I say something to a teacher? Like, all these things started racing through your mind because you knew, you know, if you did something wrong, he was going to – there's going to be a price to pay for that. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of my dad who was a college coach for 40 years. Like, he had that, that death stare, like, you're like, oh, did I miss curfew? You know, like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, those guys are awesome. So yeah it, was, yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, a lot of the guys from Blair are able to make this jump to college right away. And Mark Perry told me, I'm going to, I want to kind of break this down. Like, uh, you know, we have a lot of coaches that, that listen to this show and, and, you know, they want to get their guys recruited. And some of them are at prep school, some of them are at private schools. But I remember Mark Perry told me he thought, Blair was actually tougher than a lot of colleges and he said not only was it tough but you know you, you have if you don't go to a prep school how important is it for these guys to be taking high level courses taking AP taking honors classes and showing that they can juggle both sides of the equation yeah I mean that's a huge part especially at you know where I'm at now at the University of Michigan it's obviously a very you know rigorous academic school and we need guys that can handle especially time management's a huge piece of it and you kind of you're, you're you're kind of forced to learn that when you're at Blair because you're on your own for the most part. I mean, it's uh, you know there's there, there's more structure than at college, but you know you're still living in a dorm. It's still your responsibility to get your homework done and go to class. Like there's not you know your parents aren't over top of you, making sure you're getting your work done. You got to get it done. And uh, definitely a little bit of a learning curve, but you know I I think I learned that a lot at Blair. So when I got to college, it wasn't that much of a shock to me. Like I knew. After practice, what do you do? You go eat, and then you go do homework. Because that's what I did for four years at Blair. There was no, right. you know, change in my routine. So I think that's a huge part of it for, you know, the academic side of it is Blair sort of like, you know, it's 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 like a miniature college. You know, you got your cafeteria, you got your dorms, um, you got study times. Just like our guys here, they have, you know, study study hall pretty much from 8 to 10 every night, especially the freshmen, where they have to go to our academic center and, and get their work done. Um, so, you know, I was used to it. It wasn't really a big change for me. And, and most of the Blair guys are, are able to, you know, make that jump pretty easily because we're used to having tough courses and also having, you know, tough practices and tough, you know, training schedules where we're traveling every weekend somewhere. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, there's not a big difference between Blair and college, in my opinion, kind of like what, what Perry was saying, where, you know, when I got to college, I was like, Oh man, it's actually, I have I have more time now to get my work done than I did in high school. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you know the other part's obviously the wrestling side, and and I think most anybody who's coached at any level understands the better guys you have or recruit, the smarter you look as a coach. So while not everybody can bring in these hammers, you know they can try to coach the guys the best they can. What's maybe a skill set or a position or a situation or two? that you felt like when you got to college, you were 
way better than a lot of other freshmen and maybe even good as a lot of juniors and seniors that let you be competitive right away? I think mat wrestling is huge, especially in college. We spent a ton of time time at uh, Blair. Obviously, you know, kind of Blair's famous for that near wrist ride, which I was pretty good at. So, you know, being able to neutralize a guy on the mat and being able to escape is huge in college. And and not not only just being able to turn guys and ride guys, but but being able to return when someone stands up, you know, that's something we harp on, harp on our guys all the time about. And you know, you got to work for that mat return, lift that guy up, slam him down on the mat, or or you know, switch off to a double and run him down because because you can really, you know, it. You know, when I came in as a freshman, I was you know I was I was pretty hard to take down, but my offense wasn't great on my feet. I hadn't developed the right setups to be able to beat the best guys in the country, but I knew, you know, if I got on top, I I could win on riding time. And so, you know, when, when I had those deficiencies on my feet, I, I knew I had to get that first takedown and then ride that guy out. And that was huge. And so, you know, spending a lot of time on being able to ride and turn a guy, especially now with four-point back points. Yeah. If you can get one turn, you get a takedown and a turn, that's six points. That's a lot of points for for a guy. Or if, or if you're on bottom and you can reverse a guy to his back, you know, it's a six-point move. That's that's huge. And you can kind of see that now going, you know, some of our guys are able to get a takedown and a turn right away in the first period. And then now that guy's got to come at you. And that's when you're, you know, your go behinds and your, and all that opens up. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times in high school, a lot of the best guys are like, take him down, let him go. And when I was in uh, high school, like in Missouri, they just, if you were on top for 20 seconds, you were stalling, but you know, that's changed. I just came back from the state tournament this weekend and they're letting guys ride now. So, you know, when you're recruiting, I mean, everybody wants the same guys, you know, the 4.0 and you want everything and you never even got a detention in your life. But how much do you guys look at, can this guy score from the top? Because it seems to me like if you don't know how to ride at all, like you know, nothing but maybe like a drop to the ankle kind of ride, that's a really hard skill set to learn. Whereas on your feet, if you're relatively athletic, that seems like something more that you can go, well, you're already good at this. Here's three transitions off of that. So how important is recruiting mat wrestling coming out of high school? Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. Um, kind of just like all the things I was explaining. And and even, you know, not necessarily, like obviously we want guys to turn guys, but a lot of the mat wrestling is just kind of your your mentality going into it. Like when a guy, when you line up on top of a guy, is your, you know, your thought process that I'm, no matter what, I'm going to ride this guy. I'm going to do everything I can to return him. Um, and then, you know, the turns will come after that. And some guys, you know, you know, might be able to turn a guy, but as soon as the guy gets to his feet, they're kind of letting him go and giving up an easy point. And so it's something that I look at and, and, and I like our guys to do. Even if you're going to cut a guy, let a guy stand up, mat return him, and then put your hands on him and, you know, cut him that way. Yeah. Don't just kind of let him get to his feet and then let him go. Make him work for it a little bit. So, you know, I like when I see guys that, you know, even even if they're, you know, mainly going to get takedowns on their feet, if they can, you know, in college, if you get a takedown and ride a guy for 15, 20 seconds and then cut him and then get another takedown, ride him for 15 or 20 seconds, you can build your riding time up real quick that way. So I think, you know, we definitely look at guys that are, that are, that are, that want to be tough on top and kind of understand that in those close matches, riding time can be huge. Yeah. I think that guys don't think about that in high school, right? Cause it's never, it's not part of the equation and also, you know, like when you, you obviously pointed out the difference between a three and a four point near fall, but it's also one second less. So, you know, like maybe you're just kind of good with tilts and sometimes you can get a, you know, if you're lucky, you get a two swipes, you know, but if you focus on that, I mean, even if you're way better than me on my feet, if I get one turn, 
that's a lot of take them downs and let them go is just to, you know, to tie it up. It gives you much, obviously, the math is obvious, but, you know, such a margin for error in the other positions. Yeah, it's huge if you can get 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 one or two turns in a match. I mean, you can you can see it now with the like you were saying though that one second less and you get an extra point. I mean, there's a lot more first period attacks since that rule's been in place than than I think before. Just because guys realize now, like, oh man, if I take them down and turn them twice, it could be fourteen nothing already. <laughs> yeah, you know, gets out of hand quick. Ten nothing, you know, I'll get get two or three turns in the first period and it's you know ten fourteen nothing, and then you know that then yeah. then you start working for your pin. Yeah, and then it's it's you know those guys are kind of at that point it's it's kind of a wrap you know because you're down fourteen to nothing. I'm not saying you can't come back, but that's pretty rare. So, well, you know, I was doing the research on talking to you, and you know, two-time national champion, four-time Big Ten champion, nine eighteen winning percentage, and probably the stat. And I I watched a lot of your matches, and I loved how you wrestled. So it, I was. I knew you were good in overtime, but man, 14 and 0 in overtime matches. You know, I remember, you know, I'm friends with Joe McFarlane and, you know, a lot of people called you the human gyroscope. What made you so comfortable in those, in those situations where so many other people just get, you know, get tense and, and get, can't get out of their own way? Um, you know, I think, well, it helps when you're there 14 times. It's, <laughs> probably a lot probably the most I don't know I haven't looked it up I gotta see if that's most overtimes for a Michigan guy but um I think it, I was I was you know I'm pretty confident uh you know I was confident in my abilities and I knew you know I wasn't gonna get taken down and again I knew I was good on the mat so if that minute went by and no one got a score I believe that you know I could ride anybody in the country for 30 seconds and I believe no one could ride me for 30 seconds so it definitely helped, you know, my mentality going into the matches that I wanted to end it in seven minutes. But if it went into overtime, you know, I almost got calmer in overtime because I knew, you know, I had so much experience being there and I was, you know, obviously 14 and 0. So I knew, you know, the guy I was wrestling has probably lost more overtime matches, right. you know, definitely lost more overtime matches than me. Sure. So I was calm because I was thinking this guy's nervous because he knows that, you know, I'm good in overtime and, he might be getting nervous because now he's thinking, oh, one mistake and the match is over. But, right. you know, I felt like if, if, if I, even if I made a little mistake, I'd be able to scramble my way out and come out on top. Yeah. I mean, some scram, the whole sport keeps evolving, obviously, but you seemed to have, you know, taking that, you know, like maybe a guy comes around behind you and you're hitting like those standing Grambies and cutting back to double legs and all these kind of things where like, you know, you look like you were dead in the water I mean, that was so fun to watch. And then I think the other thing that I, I hope people are listening understand is, like, for you, if you get to overtime, especially, like, if, you know, it's me and I'm more athletic than you now, it's like, well, man, if I make a mistake, I'm going to lose. And you're like, nobody scores in that first minute. I'm going to probably win this thing on the ride outs, either by riding and getting away or just the accumulation of those riding times. And, I mean, th- that's got to be such a confidence builder for you as you wrestled and really when you're coaching these guys, if, you know, there's a ton of close matches this time of the year for them to be able to look over and say, okay, this, this dude's been through it and he's told me I can win it this way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things I always tell our guys, especially, you know, when it gets late in the third period or overtime is, is, you know, just breathe, relax. It's, you know, it's, it's just another minute of wrestling. Sometimes guys get, you know, a little worked up and they try to change their game plan in overtime. And usually that doesn't work out for them. Um, but, you know, so I, I just try to, you know, remind our guys that, 
You know, we train for this. We train for an hour and a half, two hours a day. Another minute or two minutes or three minutes in a seven-minute match isn't going to, you know, you got plenty of conditioning. You just mentally got to be in the moment and mentally be prepared to, you know, go out and do whatever it takes to get that takedown or, you know, ride that guy or escape. And and so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, something I think think our guys, you know, are doing a good job of this year of, you know, battling through overtimes and winning. I don't know what our record is in overtime, but I know we had a, we had a couple this weekend that we were able to pull out and, and then those guys stayed calm and, and found a way to score. Yeah, I, you, you said something and you kind of slid it in there, but I think it's like you train a lot. You're not, you can wrestle 10 minutes. Like the, the difference is the the stress level, you know, the the nerves, the nervous energy that gets burned off. Because if you just go, hey, we're going to wrestle for 10 minutes, I mean, if you're wrestling Sergey or, you know, Sean or, you know, Misik or whoever, like you can wrestle for 10 minutes. It's not that big of a deal, but we know the lights come on and it all, you know, this is what you've been working for all year. Like all that nervous energy kind of saps you, but when you break it down, if you can wrestle hard for an hour and a half, you can certainly wrestle hard for 10 minutes with breaks like that. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a yeah. way to look at it. And I think it gives guys, it sort of simplifies. And anytime you simplify things, I think guys get more confidence, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you're like a lot of guys, great wrestling career and stayed on the coaching staff at, at where you competed. Uh, how did that happen for you? You know, what, tell me a little bit about the process of, of your transition there. Yeah. So, um, you know, right after college, I, you know, I wanted to stick around Ann Arbor and the program. We were kind of building something. We had a couple down years while I was on the team and it was kind of slowly building, um, to where we're at today, which is awesome. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to stick around, and, and we had our uh, Cliff Keen Wrestling Club and Michigan RTC were, were starting to roll, so I was able to kind of just go right into the fold with that, and we had guys like Jimmy Kennedy and Jake Herbert, Tyrell Todd, uh, Kyle Massey, all these guys here training. So I, I trained uh, just for a year. Um, I was just training right after college. Um, I was able to, you know, I wrestled really well. I was able to win the U.S. Open, and then uh, the next year, the volunteer coaching spot opened up, and... I met with uh, Joe McFarland and, and Sean and they asked me if, you know, I'd be interested in it. And, you know, I was already working a lot with the guys just cause they were helping me train. So I was helping them train. And, um, you know, I, I was super excited to be able to stay here. You know, I had lots of opportunities to go to other, other schools and universities, but deep down, I kind of always knew I wanted to be here. Um, you know, once, once you come to Michigan and you're a Michigan man, it's kind of hard to leave uh, Ann Arbor and just the university in general, especially, you know, the, the, the things we're building and, and where we're at today and kind of as we keep climbing, it's, you know, a no-brainer to be able to stay here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, you, you do talk to, you know, I, I love Joe McFarland and I had to imagine he had a great influence on your career and you certainly had a, a great influence on that silver fox haircut of his. With all those <laughs> yeah, those, time time, those <laughs> times weren't good for his gray hair, I don't think. <laughs> You're just making him more, uh, more dapper and debonair. Just you just help expedite that process a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Mike, a lot of young guys as a coach, you know, like your your learning curve there is probably a little bit steeper than at the end of your athletic career. So, what do you think maybe some of of your of your strengths are as a coach? I think you know some of my strengths, coach. Obviously, I get to you know I get to wrestle with the guys every day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably on the mat, you know, four to five times a day, four to five times a week with the guys 
um, depending on the year and uh, or depending on the week. So, you know, I'm able to really, you know, it, it's great to be able to break down film and stuff, but you learn a lot by just wrestling with guys and seeing what mistakes they're making and being able to make, you know, real-time changes uh, to their wrestling. You know, as you're wrestling, you notice something, you can change it, work on it, develop it. So it's great to be able to still be able to roll around and wrestle hard with these guys. And, and, um, and then I'm also, you know, pretty, you know, I think part, part of Wallace training was, you know, I, I did a lot of research in the sports psychology and I had a sports psychologist when I was in you know high school, college and after college. So, you know, a lot of guys will come to me with questions about, you know, what should they be thinking about before a match? What should they be doing? You know, what's, what, what are some things that I was able to, to implement in my training and in competition that helped me mentally get to there. Cause in college, like you were saying before, stress levels are really high, especially at big tens and national. So, you know, being able to share my experience as an athlete, um, I think really is great for these guys and, and they seem to really take advantage of it. And, and the guys now on the team are really into that kind of stuff. They're, you know, they want to get any kind of edge that they can, whether it's physical, mental. Um, and, and so it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to, have guys on the team that are into that stuff for sure most definitely so and as a young guy there's probably still an area or two that you know maybe you feel like your learning curve or improvement is is a little steeper uh you know what what are some of those areas where like you come to work every day and you go man i'm gonna learn something new or i'm gonna be i'm gonna become better as a coach today yeah i mean obviously i mean every college coach knows there's a lot of compliance work you got to do which which is not the fun part so you got to learn how to do the boring office work of going to compliance meetings, figuring out what you can and can't do with people. And, but, you know, besides that, I think like in the room, you know, sometimes it's, it's tough going from a guy who was training, you know, since you're five or six years old to being the guy running practice. Um, And so every (laughs) once in a while, you know, I got to run practice. So I got to, you know, be against the wall or walk around and, and not, not be able to get my hands on the guys and be able to, to wrestle. So, you know, that, that, that's always tough be you know when you really want to wrestle and get a workout in and you're like oh man yes i'm here for these guys so i'm gonna i'm gonna take a time and put them through it so i'm still learning that one a little bit but you know every day it gets gets a little bit better yeah for sure and i think that's as you get older and probably as like you get more sore you know like hey maybe i'll just wrestle three or four days a week instead of four to five you start finding ways to become even more productive in those other areas because Unfortunately, father time is undefeated and you kind of got to make that transition over eventually, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it, wrestling is one of those sports. It's funny. I talk, I talk to a lot of other athletes in other sports and ask them like, oh, do you still, you know, if you're a runner, do you still run? And they, you know, run. Obviously a little easier on the body, but every wrestler I think I've ever talked to, when you ask them, you know, if they're still involved in the sport, I'm like, oh, do you still wrestle no matter how old they are? They're like, oh yeah, I wrestle. And whether it's once a week or once a month, like right. we get alumni that come in and they come in once a year, but that's, they get on the mat every time. It's like, right. once it's in your blood, you, you can't get rid of it. They just, no matter, you know, how banged up they might be when they get in, they're going to, they, they want to get on the mat and roll around with guys. Right. Yeah, it is. It gets in your blood and you just can't get, get rid of it for sure. So, I mean, you guys have had a really, really good season, you know, un- you know, big win at Ohio state. You know, only one dual meet loss, you know, some, some big individual wins, you know, you guys are ranked really high. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about a, a guy that really intrigues me. Just, I, I love his style 
First of all, how do I pronounce your 133-pounder's name correctly? I'm sure. Stevan Misik. Stevan Misik. Okay. Misik or I believe. Yeah, Stevan Misik. 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 Okay. So, but he's got a cool nickname. So, what is that? Because I think that's what I would go by if if I, if I had his name. A Serbian sickle. <laughs> So cool, man. There's, it's a great one. There's nothing bad about that at all. No. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he he's really, I mean, we're doing this right after he wrestled Suriano. And at the beginning of the year, it felt like nine guys could win this weight class. And, you know, and I'm not saying obviously a bunch of guys still can't, but or can rather, but he feels like he's established, established himself as the class of the weight you probably work with him a lot. What, you know, what have you seen in his growth this year that's kind of led him to be able to sort of escalate himself to the top of this crowd? You know, I think, you know, he's probably, you know, the most, one of the most technical wrestlers I've ever met. I mean, the guy's obsessed with wrestling. And, um, you know, I think last year he had the ability um, to win it all. You know, like we were talking about those four point back, back points is huge. And yeah. he gave up a takedown early and gave up back points and, he was playing catch up the rest of the match. And I think this year, you know, he's really focused a lot on his mat wrestling. Uh, you know, he's super hard to ride. He's, he's been real tough on top, getting turns. And um, I think just, you know, mentally he's in a really good spot right now and he's training really hard and, and he's looking for those scores right away. He, when he gets on top, he wants to ride a guy and turn him. And that's kind of, you know, you know the, the, the big difference between, I think some guys are, they get, they're happy to get that takedown. And then the guy gets up and they cut him and then now they're, you know, going to wrestle tight the rest of the match. They're not continuing to look for scores, but he's always looking to score no matter what's going on. Yeah, he seems, and, you know, I mean, everybody teaches this and really good guys do it, but even more so than most guys, like he's, every time he gets a takedown, it looks like he's going right to that bottom like Turk or something, you know, a transition off of that, that he's really drilled it in his head. Like I'm going to get four and six point takedowns and not just two point takedowns if, if that explanation makes any sense. Yeah, no, yeah, he's always coming. He's looking for those Turks on the way down off takedowns. He's, I mean, he's unbelievable. He finds himself in those bottom legs and Turks all the time. And it's something, you know, he's drilled since he was a little kid. And, and you know, it's really, it's actually even starting to pass along. A lot of our other guys now are looking for it because they realize if you get a takedown and a Turk, that's six points. It's huge. Well, and you can also ride guys for a long time there, right? Like, you know, it's not. Oh, yeah. A yeah, it's hard to get out when a guy's got a Turk yeah. on you. Right. Yeah. It's not like some other rides where you let the risk go. Now all of a sudden the guy's coming right up, you know, you just unhook that top half and you still have got control. So, you know, when we talked the last time, you mentioned just how technical he is. And I was thinking about this, you know, I, I think most of us consider ourselves gym rats and, you know, like we love to pick the brains of guys. And I know you still are trying to grow your knowledge of the sport. So tell me what it's like have Sergey Belaglazov in that room. I mean, that's just that's just got to be insane, right? Yeah, I mean, it's great have, having him in the room. I mean, he's he's a wizard on the mat. I mean, he 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 really like we were saying before. I mean, he can simplify every position. He it's it's kind of black and white with him. He he'll, you know he's one, if a guy does one thing, he's going to do this. If a guy does another thing, he does this. He's kind of got an answer for everything, and and being able to watch him you know, run our RTC practices or be able to, you know, I've hopped in there a few times with guys and kind of picked his brains on certain positions. And he's, you know, he's got an answer for everything. I haven't been able to stump him yet with a question. So, you know, having him here with, 
being able to help our senior level guys. And then in the spring, he'll be working a lot with our college guys during our RTC practices. And, and, you know, you can already see our guys, you know, are starting to jump levels with, with the setups you're using and starting to use some more two-on-ones. And, and, you know, he, you know, he's here and he, he's excited to help, help our RTC and, and help our guys make some junior and cadet or junior and uh, university world teams or U23 now. Right. Yeah. I think some people, first of all, I don't even know if this might not be a fair question because I don't even know how you put this into words, but the Europeans, they look at the, they have a different feel and they look at the sport differently. Like from being around him, what, what do you see as the differences of how they approach the sport and how they teach the sport? Um, I think, you know, his, his approach to sports, it's, it's funny, but he, he, he kind of finds it pretty simple. Like it's nothing's really complicated to him. He, uh, and you know, watching him wrestle and nothing really seemed too difficult for him. But I think for him, it's, it's a lot about, you know, using setups and, and, and different things like that, where I think sometimes we get so stuck in just, you know, you're going to shoot and then you're going to finish instead of like, how do you get to your shot? You know, we'll do one setup to a tape to a shot where he's doing two or three setups to a shot. Like, he's not worried if you go, you know, if I pull off a two-on-one, if you start posting on my head, he's not worried. He's going to do one thing or he's going to do, you know, you might, he might post on your head and you might to go, go post double and then he reacts. Now you're going sweep single. Like, he's always thinking, they're always thinking two or three or four moves ahead. And it's kind of been good to be able to see that and, and, and have our guys, you know, do more of like a flow through a setup rather than just doing one setup to a takedown. Yeah, I, I remember talking to you, you're like, well, you said to him, well, what if this guy does this? Well, then you do that. And well, what if he does this and you do that? And like all the different transitions. And I think, I think especially like at high school and little league, like they'll show you a move and they're like, this move works. And it's like, well, it can't work all the time or literally every other person in the world would do that move, right? Like there's, there's a counter, but sometimes you're actually doing the move to set up the counter so you can go to the next thing. And it seems like, what you're saying is his approach is more, yeah, there's a counter. Of course there's a counter. You know, we actually want that guy to do one of these three or four counters, and we're just going to cut him off at the pass and then do the next thing and just keep beating him in the transitions. Is that kind of a, a fair way to, to, to look at it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, do, yeah. he's doing one move to set up another all the time. And uh, so it's, it's definitely pretty cool to pick his brain and and kind of figure out a few other things and some, some other tricks. And I, I definitely think it's paying off for definitely for our senior level guys. And then our guys that have been able, lucky enough to be able to go to the RTC practices too. They're, they're starting to develop some, some more complex setups that, that, that are paying off big time. Right. And obviously he's focusing on freestyle. So he's not working, you know, if he's doing on top, it's gut wrenches and leg laces and things like that. But he seems like one of those guys. I mean, my dad had him in a hundred years ago for a, a seminar. And I still remember like some kid challenged him, like, well, you know, well, can you turn a guy in folk style or, you know, high school style, whatever you're going to call it. And he just, the guy, the guy went down and he put a leg in on him and he had him turned and screaming so quick. Like it literally could have been like, <laughs> like a child abuse case. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. But his his leg riding is unbelievable. I mean, that stuff obviously translates over to folk style when he's got a high leg in and he's, you know, hip hip turking you or he's you know, he's turking you to get to a bar. And it's kind of just like on the feet. You know, when he's on the mat, he's he's using you know if he's he's trying to turn you, but if he can't turn you, if you're countering it, he's always got a counter to the counter. 
So it's kind of it's kind of like a chess match when you're wrestling him because you know he's thinking two or three moves ahead of you all the time when you're just trying to survive down there, and he's kind of just you know he's thriving on top trying trying to get a turn. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was what struck me about him besides just being literally world world class, but that the stuff he did on top was like, I mean, I had him do it to me slowly, and I was like, oh my god, like this this is horrific. You just like, you just want to turn over so you don't, you know, you don't die. <laughs> You're going to traction. So yeah. you told me a story last time that I need you to tell again about your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, kind of have a, he, we, he, you know, him and his brother Anatoly were doing, uh, doing this summer camp series where they were traveling all over the country. And it's kind of crazy, but, and they, we, we brought him in and that's kind of how the whole thing started where maybe we could get him as our RTC coach and, and he uh, he was doing a session. He did a session with our with the high school high school guys. And then he came in and did a did kind of like an RTC practice with with some of our college guys. And he was showing his gut wrench. And he wanted to show me, you know, how he did his gut wrench because I was asking him a few questions. So I get down. He gets on top. He locks his gut up. And he's like, "All right, you know, fight me." So I fight him a little bit. He turns me and kind of like slaps me. And he's like, "No, like fight me. Like really fight me." I'm like, all right, so I fight him a little bit harder. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's an old dude. Like, I'll fight him a little bit, then I'll let him turn me. Turns me again, slaps me hard, and he's like, fight me real. I'm like, I'm not letting this guy turn me. Then after he slapped me twice. <laughs> so you get two like, slaps in, like, it, it, it's usually one more than you get. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I figured, you know, all those world titles, I let him slap me twice before. And uh, so I'm like, all right, he's not going to turn me. So I start fighting him hard, fighting him hard. I'm like, there's no way he's going to turn me. It goes on for about 10, 15 seconds. All of a sudden, I feel his lock slide. And I'm like, oh, I got him beat. You know, normally freestyle when a guy's lock slides, you're good. Right. So I'm still fighting him a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he squeezes. Something happens in my rib, and my whole left side went numb. I couldn't feel it. Like, it was a sharp pain and then numb, and I went right over. And I kind of got up, and I was like, you know, look like, look like I'd seen a ghost. I'm like staring. Because normally when you hurt your rib, you know, it hurts. Right. But this time my whole left side of my rib cage was like numb for like three or four days. I thought you like punctured a lung or, <laughs> or, or liver, my liver or something. It's and, only uh, funny because you're not hurt. <laughs> yeah, I'm good now, I think. We'll see. But, you know, that was kind of like I was like, man, this guy, this guy can still wrestle. This guy can still scrap. Yeah, I'm friends with John Morrison, like we're buddies and. Like, I'll talk or text to him, like, every other month and just be like, what, you know. And he's got these stories just about, it's almost hard to put into words with, with how he says it. Like, you know, he just shows you stuff, and it's so simple, and it works so well. And, you know, obviously you guys have a great staff already with, with Chirella and yourself and Sean and 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 Bulliard and everybody else. But, I mean, it's just got to be cool. Like, somebody that's done it at the highest, highest level and so many times and, and approaches the sport differently. Like, I, you know, the Europeans definitely have a different feel, so it's so cool to just have that guy to, as a go-to when, you know, pretty much every day, whenever you want, and just go, hey, you know, our guys are struggling with this. How would you approach it? And I got to imagine those are some of the more fun times of coaching. Yeah, absolutely, Bill, just to kind of sit down and, and talk to him about, you know, even just, he, even his, you know, our guys love it at the end of practice. So, you know, story time with Sergey and he'll <laughs> sit against the wall and he'll just be telling stories about training, you know, training camps in Russia and yeah. traveling the world wrestling. And, and it was funny, a couple, a couple months ago, you know, a couple weeks ago, me and John were texting back and forth and there's a little bit of a break in the conversation. And then he texted me back and he's like, I've been sitting here for the last two hours thinking 
if I wrestled Sergey, would I be able to beat him? <laughs> and we both came to the same conclusion, like, probably not. You mean like right now? Know. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> I still think I still think he'd, he'd be able to pull off and beat me and John in a match. He's uh, he, he's something else. He's something special, and we're lucky to have him. Just the fact that you're not sure tells you a lot, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, just just the fact that it's not a wrap is is a significant deal. So yeah, well, I think that's you know, and obviously with these RTCs, like guys can you know be at one RTC and train with another, and I think that's got to be good for helping you bring other guys in to train, even if it's not you know, even if they're at the XYZ RTC to be able to come in and train with you guys for like a week or two or even a weekend just depending on their schedule and, and that helps your guys get more feels and, and improve just by having different training partners yeah i mean i think we definitely all take advantage of that having some guys come in and then actually they're heading to uh, belarus tonight for a training camp that sergey helped set up um so so don dominic avenator and kevin beasley are headed over there right now to to train for two weeks in belarus which is you know, unbelievable opportunity for them. And, yeah. and thanks to Sergey, you know, he's got a lot of connections over there. So he was able to to hook it up for, for a two-week training camp. And they'll be wrestling, you know, some of the best guys in the world every day there. Um, so it's a, that's just another advantage of having him, you know, on, on our, you know, RTC staff where he he, he has connections there and we're, we're able to send guys overseas. And, and you know, we're, we're hopefully, we're, we're looking at trying to send, you know, some of our college guys overseas to train the spring and summer just to be able to get that experience, you know, not only wrestling, but just being able to go to a place like that and experience different cultures is huge. And that's, you know, part of the college experience is being able to to experience new things. And Sergey just opened up a whole new door for our guys, and they're all pretty excited about it. Yeah, I think that's like, I mean, there's there's levels, and that's neck next level, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we go, you know, like, you know. Yeah. The broken English, like, yeah, we go, no problem. You know, they just you know, set everything up and just get over there and train. And, you know, like you're saying, that, that changes how you look at the world. I mean, I've been able to travel to some places tied to wrestling and jujitsu and stuff like that, and just not staying put, just being around the world and seeing how other people live. I think, A, it makes you appreciate so much more what you have, but it also literally, if you're willing to be coachable, it allows you to really get your eyes open and, and learn more quickly just about life and the sport and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. For sure, man. A couple of quick questions. Um, how do you feel about dual meets being a part of deciding the national team title? Do you think that should be, should they change it or leave it the way it is? Uh, I, I like it the way it is right now. I think, um, you know, I understand the people who want it part of it because they want to make dual meets more important. And, and, and I, I do think, you know, this year we were lucky enough. We had a few duels in our uh, basketball arena, Chrysler center. Um, and we had good crowds for those and it was exciting. And then obviously, you know, we wrestled uh, Ohio State at, at the shot, um, so that was a packed packed house. So I, I think dual meets do matter. I think I was especially in the Big Ten. Um, you know, we wrestled Penn State in their Bryce Jordan Center; it was sold out. So I, I, I think right now, um, with the national championship the way it is, I just think it gives more teams an opportunity to end up in the top ten. Because I feel like if you have a national team title that 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 feeds into the national tournament. You know, it's going to be tougher for some smaller schools that maybe, you know, they're, they're not going to have, you know, 10 real good guys or 10 solid guys. But if you have four or five, you know, guys that can All-American, you can be in the top 10. Right. And um, at, at the way it's set up right now. So I think, you know, you know, if, 
you know, I think it would be cool to have a national team title. I think, you know, they, they've tried and it just hasn't worked out. Um, but as, as it being part of, you know, the national championship or national championship team, I, I kind of like it, you know, where we have the individuals and, and, and how your guys do and that weekend in March kind of determines where your team ends up. For sure. What about hands to the face? What are your thoughts there? You know, I think it's one of those where it's, you know, made with good intentions, but it's kind of, you know, it's gotten better now. I think they've gotten away from it a little bit just because there's so many incidental contacts where if you're hand fighting, you know, a guy might knock your hand into his face. And I think now they're not calling that, which is good. They, they, they've kind of tweaked it a little bit. In the beginning of the year, though, you saw a lot of, a lot of times where a guy was, you know, going in for maybe a collar tie and that guy – you know, was was either blocking him or you know, move, you know, redirecting his arm, and maybe the hand hit the face, and they were calling it. Um, so I th- I I think you know the way it is right now, it's a little bit better. I think you know, obviously, if you're, you know, jabbing at a guy's face, right. definitely, I think it should be penalized. But I think if you're just kind of trying to gauge distance, and your hand accidentally goes, you know, if he touches eyebrow, and they're calling that a point, right. yeah. it, that's I think a little overkill. Right. And, but, but again, I think they're doing a better job now. They seem to, you know, a couple of times I've seen this weekend um, from our duels where a guy, you know, might've been going, going to gauge distance and, and his opponent kind of moved and maybe the hand, you know, was a little bit lower than it should have been. And, and they weren't calling that, which is good. I, I don't think they should call that. I think if you're jabbing and there's force behind it, then yeah, it should be a point. But if you're gauging distance and you accidentally brush your guy's face, I, I, I think it's just, it's just too much. It's just a, you know, it can change the course of a lot of these, these, you know, top 10, top five matchups. Well, you know, you think about how close, how many close matches you wrestled. And, you know, we talked about that earlier. And you imagine if, you know, like you and Montel Marion, if one guy gets one of those calls, it just changes the whole context of the match, right? Like now one guy's got to go chase the other guy down and, and open himself up and, you know, all these other things. And, and to be honest, you know, I think the refereeing is really good. I, I think they know if somebody's doing something on purpose or by accident. I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, we don't want to give them any more things to have to make judgment calls on. But the the other thing is to handcuff them and then literally make a call that decides the match. And I, I know the best referees don't want to do that. You know, they, they just want to call the points and let the guys decide it. Yeah, it's just a shame if a match, you know, ends or is influenced by something that's like that's not re- that's not a wrestling move or – even really like a wrestling position, you know, it's just, I accidentally touched a guy's face or, right. you know, so it, it is, it, it is tough and it would be real hard. Like, you know, I didn't have to deal with it, but I'd be real, real mad and upset if I lost a match because of that, because at one point, you know, obviously, you know, you don't want to, you, you can't make the excuse of, Oh, I just lost cause I touched his face. But in a tight match, one point can be a lot. That can be, be huge. It's the match. And a lot of cases, yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's, I mean, yeah, like, you can't overstate that. Like, it's gigantic, like you're saying. So, I mean, you've, you've wrestled a lot of freestyle. You know, we've, you know, your coaching staffs will wrestle a lot of freestyle. We, you know, you have a great RTC. What do you think about push out or step out rule? Yay or nay? You know, and- uh, I'm, I think, I think I'm more, more on the nay side. I just say, I think the way, you know, our college wrestling is right now, I think it's it's pretty exciting with scores on the edge of the mat and, uh, you know, some scrambles on the edge. Obviously, 
you know, the counter to that would be, oh, those scrambles would happen. They'd just be closer to, you know, they'd be, they'd be more in the center of the mat, which would be good too. But uh, I, I just think with the step-out rule, you, again, you're giving, you know, especially in the way freestyle, you know, if you're pushing a guy out of bounds, you know, with straight arms, then it's not supposed to be a point. And it's just one of those things that it, it, it can fall into a gray area of where, you know, it, it did the guy push him out or did he, you know, did he, did that, did that guy try to get out of bounds right. um, to avoid a score? So I, I just think right now, you know, I think it's, it's pretty good with the way it is where guys can wrestle on the edge of the mat and, and, you know, you can score a takedown the edge of the mat. You can get back points. You can pin a guy out of bounds. So I think it just, you know, it makes the wrestling area a little bit bigger and it makes it a little more exciting when, when a guy gets towards the edge. And I think the crowds like that where it gets, instead of, you know, the action, if you step out and freestyle, you know, the action's over. In in college, that action continues, and and it can be you know it's it's more exciting for the fans because they're thinking like is he going to go out of bounds? Is he going to get the score before they go out of bounds? And it just kind of adds a little more drama to that position. It's interesting because so many smart guys have different opinions about this, and every time I think I have an opinion, I talk to somebody smart, and you know they say it differently, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm kind of on board with that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely got gone back and forth a bunch of times. Uh, especially when I was still competing in uh, freestyle, I was like, man, there needs to be a step out rule. But so it kind of depends what, what day of the week you catch me, whether I want to push out or step out. Probably depends on how that weekend went for our guys. That's they had right. a guy wrestling, yeah. and, yeah. and I'm all for the step out rule. But or if you're winning right, the right edge, now, keep it the same. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, it, it's it's a tough decision to make whether whether it should be or not. And I think right now, it's pretty good where it's at and. I think we have a lot less guys with the new stalling rule. I think we have a lot less guys that are that are playing the edge, which is good and leads to more exciting wrestling. And I think if we can keep enforcing guys if they go out of bounds, you know, hitting the stall call or action call uh, correctly, then I think that kind of that solves a lot of it. But you're always going to have guys that are going to want to play the edge, and and so there's always going to be, you know, definitely a fervent camp that wants wants the step out rule, but. But I, but I'm 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 pretty good with the way they are now. Yeah, for sure. It's it it is interesting though because I think, you know, we didn't get into this, but I mean, like I think the one thing that's driving everybody crazy is just how long video review takes. Like I was at the Mizzou Oklahoma State duel, and it was just whether or not a hand touched the mat or not. And like you know, I mean, I understand you have to look at it, but like it, it's literally a two second clip. It feels like that shouldn't take eight minutes to look at, right? You know, just slow the yeah, down. yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, obviously, I like the like that we have reviews so we can make the correct call and and officials, you know, they're 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 trying to do the right thing and make the correct call. But it definitely can change the momentum of a match or even a whole dual meet. You know, wrestling. A big part of wrestling is conditioning. You know, it's seven minutes of you know high intensity you know, physical fitness and, and if and if a guy's not in shape and they're able to review it and it takes them, you know, six, right. seven, eight minutes, that's that's a lot of recovery time. So I definitely, I don't know if there should be a time limit or I, I don't know how you fix that problem because you do want them to make the right call if they're taking the time to look at it. But I've definitely seen it where it seems like it should be a pretty easy call, but, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's technical issues or they're just not sure, the angle's weird, um, but I, I like the freestyle too, where they, you know, when you challenge a call, the whole everyone in the crowd gets to see it. Yes. And I think just as like 
from a spectator's point, I think that's it makes it more exciting because they get to see it again. It's like when you're at a football game or a baseball game and they, you know, instant replay and they show, you know, a tackle or a catch for a touchdown. Right. And it just gets the crowd more into it instead of, again, if it's eight minutes and, you know, nothing's really going on for the crowd to watch there because they can't see it. Um, so I think it would be cool to be able to implement that, you know, in the arenas that you can to have like a screen or, or, or whatnot. So I, I think that's something that, that they should look at where, if there's a review, like especially like at NCAs, they always have the jumbotrons. There should be, you know, that video clip clip playing over. <laughs> that's all they need is more pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, the officials might not like it, but I think the it'd be good. Would, yeah. For the sport overall. <laughs> yeah. Overall, be be exciting, you know. And then you get people in the stands arguing back and forth, like his hand was down. No, his hand was up. His hand was down. So it just it it just makes the environment better and more exciting, which is you know what we have to do to to you know if we want to keep growing the sport, we got to make it more exciting for the fans, and even for the non fans, you know if they see a replay, they're going to learn a little more. Yeah. When see it five or six times rather than they just see it once and you know, in live time, it's if you don't know what's going on, it's hard to pick up on the little things. But if they're slowing it down and you get to watch what the refs are watching, it's kind of exciting. I think that point, the last, I mean, it's all really well taken. I think the last point where it helps you bring in, you know, the casual fan, I think, you know, wrestling is, is growing, but there was a time when it wasn't. And, you know, we don't want to go back to that time. So anything that makes it easier for people to understand and, and that kind of thing, I think we should be for as a, as a sport for sure. So, man, I, I just want to thank you. It's uh, I, I knew you second. I watched you wrestle. John Morrison thinks the world of you. Bournette, Bournette thinks the world of you. And I like talking to assistant coaches. Y'all are a little less politically correct. Plus, I was in a <laughs> for a long time. You get a little more out of it. So uh, I've had really a lot of fun talking to you twice now. Um, I want to wish you guys the best of luck and just good health. And uh, I'll see you in Pittsburgh in about a month. Yeah, thank you. Second time was just as fun as the first one. <laughs> You're very kind. I appreciate you saying that. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this is David Miracatani for Track Wrestling and Matt Chat. Thank you so much for listening. Speak to you all next week.